Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now, and we will, actually, let's, let's read the text, and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Um, let's stand. We're going to read just one section of scripture here, just one verse, actually, and that is Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, as we're continuing to go through um, the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you. Lord, help us today. Our hearts are saddened, um, burdened, and yet, Lord, we realize that uh, you want us to keep pressing on in the pursuit of our walk with you. And Lord, we are thankful for, for people like Deborah who give us a, a legacy example of what it means to walk with you, imperfectly, but anchoring herself in the hope that she had in you. And Lord, what a difference that has made. And Lord, may we, may we capture that, may that uh, be, a, be a source of strength for us. And Lord, now as we come to your text, as we continue to think through these Ten Commandments, we ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom to, to see this particular commandment in a way maybe that we have not been accustomed to, that we would see it in its context, we would see it in its fullness, and that it would shape us and guide us and help us in our walk with you. And so, Lord, what we know not would you teach us, what we are not would you make us, and, Lord, what we have not would you give us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <laughs> can I ask a favor? Um, can we turn the TV just a little bit? Because I can't see a thing that's on there for those that are going to be... And actually, this isn't even working for some reason. There we go. All right. That's not for you guys. I'm sorry. That's for those that are home. All right. I want to begin our time this morning by reading um, a couple of quotations. And as I'm reading them, I want you to ask yourself... Um, where would you come across a statement like this? Here's the first one. Young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no respect for parents or old age. They talk as if they know everything and treat our wisdom as stupidity. As for girls, they are forward, immodest, and unwomanly in speech, behavior, and dress. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Youth today love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for, other, uh, for older people, and talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, guzzle their food, lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize their elders. Now, where would you hear some statements like that? In my mind, I thought to myself, well, maybe go to McDonald's on a Saturday morning where there's a bunch of older guys sitting in the corner, and you might hear something like that coming from them. Um, maybe it's the sentiment of, of, of a conversation taking place in a retirement village, you know, just kind of you know, talking about this generation, these young whippersnappers. But in fact, the first quote comes from a sermon preached by Peter the Hermit 
in 1254. And the second quote comes from the Greek philosopher Socrates over 400 years before Christ. Now, what does that tell us? That this generation struggle has been around for a long time. There's nothing new under the sun. And, and a gap and, and that, is, that is often between these generations has existed and continues to exist. So the question this morning is this. How is a gap between generations to be bridged? How can we bring the older and younger together? And we'll find the answer to that question in the fifth commandment. Let's read it again. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And here's, here's my proposition. And, and, and as we work our way through the text, hopefully this will become clearer and clearer. The fifth commandment is the heart of the family living before God. What is being declared here in this commandment is the heart of the family before God. I mean, this is, this is a commandment directed to the issues relating to being a family, right? What we've just read so far, um, or studied so far, the last four, are all directed vertically to God. And these last six are all, you might want to say, horizontal. But this one is unique for the family in particular. It's the heart of the family living before God. God could have said all sorts of things and given all sorts of commandments relating to the family, but this is what he says. And so we need to seek to understand what he means by this and at the same time recognize that this really is the core essential. All right? So we're going to look at this in, in three ways. First of all, there's, there's going to be a... I want to look at it from its, its position in the, in the order and the structure of the Ten Commandments because there's some significant things there. Secondly, we want to look at the command, which is the first part, and then we want to ultimately end up with the promise that is given for us. So first of all, the commandment's strategic position. The commandment's strategic position. Now, remember, these are not actually listed as ten commandments. They're ten words. We call them commandments, but they're ten specific words of instruction that God gives to Israel as they are uh, really forming this new, um, this new nation. And if you remember... When Jesus confronted, uh, was confronted by the religious leaders, they sought to um, trick him with a question. And we find this in the Gospels. And the question was this, which is the greatest commandment? And remember what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God, referring to the first four commandments, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, referring to the last six. Those are often called the two tables of the commandments. You know, you see pictures of Moses coming down from the mountain with two tablets, Right? And maybe in your mind you're thinking, you know, he has four on this one and six on this one. The reality is he had ten on each. But they're referred, these are referred to as the two tablets, the vertical, I don't say the horizontal tablets. Now, first of all, what I want you to notice um, here is that this fifth commandment serves as both a bridge between the first uh, four commandments and the last five, as well as, a, as to be a foundation for those last six commandments. First of all, let's just think about it, about it as being a bridge, okay? As a bridge, the fifth commandment 
links the two tablets of the law. It is the perfect bridge between the first four commandments that calls us to honor God with our hearts, with our eyes, with our uh, uh, tongues, and our time. Those would be the four commandments. And bridging those commandments now with these last six commandments where we're called to love our neighbor. Now notice that the word which the fifth commandment begins, it's the word honor. Now what is this word honor? Well, in the Hebrew, it's the word kabod, and it means, uh, it's often translated glory, but it's used especially about God, but it has this idea of weightiness, that, that God in his glory is weighty, that there's some substance there, that there's some significance there, right? So for example, Deuteronomy 28, 58, the glorious, awe-inspiring name of the Lord, right? He is weighty. There is substance here, right? Psalm 22, verse 23, uses the word to call all your offspring of Jacob to glorify him. We are to glorify him, right? Isaiah 24, 15 calls the world to worship using this word saying, in the east, give glory, give honor to the Lord, in the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord God of Israel. The point there is that they're recognizing that there's some substance, there's significance, there is weight to who God is. And so he deserves our glory. He deserves our um, admiration for his weightiness. All right? Now, you might look at me and have some adver- uh, you know, admiration for my weightiness. It's a different issue there. But we're talking about God's weightiness. His attributes are unique. They are unmistakable. They are unlike any other man-made God. And that's why we give him glory. So there's this weight context. Now, in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, this is what we, what we read. God is speaking through his prophet. And here's what he says. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? He's challenging the people. He's challenging the religious leaders there. He's saying, look, you are supposed to be giving me honor. You're supposed to be giving me glory, but you're not. Isn't it interesting, and hear this, and if you, if you have been around the word of God for a while, you'll understand that the word honor is kabod in Hebrew. You'll also understand that the word dishonor is ikkabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. That's the opposite, then, of honor. Right? Now, Here's the point. The honor that the fifth commandment requires a son to give his father is analogous then to the honor we all owe to God. So the fifth commandment is designed to echo the big idea at the heart of the commandment, uh, 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 commandments one through four and to apply that, that heart and that honor to the relationship of a child to its parents. So God is to be honored as father and we are similarly to honor Uh, our own parents with an honor and a reverence and a love that is the mirror image of what we see in those first four commandments. So it's a bridge. It links. Secondly, it's a foundation. It is is the the, the heart, I'm going to say, of this last section. Without the fifth commandment, the rest of the commandments really cannot be realized. I want you to think through this. 
although there are two tables, I want you to think of the structure here of the commandments in the following manner. Think of them, in a sense, from the top down. There's, there's God, the four commandments. Then there's parents. Then you have society. You see the order. You see the, the structure. There's a sense in which these commandments are, are, are like this, this a funnel, so to speak. And here we have the commandments at the top, and they funnel through parents, and then it flows out to how then the children of Israel are going to interact with society. And so there's a foundational principle that the honor of God is seen in the relationship of the child and the parent. And maybe we could say it this way. If there is not a, an honor relationship between, between the child and the parent, then there's going to be murders. There's going to be adultery. There's going to be stealing. There's going to be covetousness. This is where we learn these things, is in the context of the home, where parents are saying, look, here's God, and you need to honor then what we're saying in training and raising you so that you can live in a way that reflects who God is. So there's a, there's a bridge and there's a foundation. Secondly, we're moving along here saying, Pastor, this is a fast sermon. Oh, you don't know what's coming yet, do you? That's why in your handout, there's a big, long section here. And that's why the heart of our time here is going to be in point number two. And that is this, the commandment's essential point. This is, this is the focal point of the commandment, and this is where we're going to spend more time. I, I want to just cover some preliminary things as we think through this particular commandment. Again, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The first preliminary point is this. This commandment is for all of us, just like the rest of the Ten Commandments. If, if you right now are at home and you said, we, we definitely want to watch this sermon because our children are right here in front of the TV. We made sure that they're up and ready to go to, to listen because we, we know they need this. I want to tell you something. They do need this, but so do you. This is not just for them. This is for all of us, right? So the children, the young adult, teens, college, married, raising a family, older adults, we all need to take this to heart. Secondly, this commandment reminds us of the biblical pattern for the home. I mean, it, it doesn't have to, we, you know, God doesn't have to explain all the different possibilities out there. There's, there's really, in his mind, only one possibility. There's a mother and there's a father. Now, I realize in life, Sometimes there, there aren't mothers and there aren't fathers. There's one, but, you know, there's no father and father and mother and mother. You get what we're saying here. It's natural. This is part of the dynamic of what the home should look like, all right? Third, this commandment teaches us that honor is due to both father and mother equally. In fact, if you look at the parallel um, passage of the Ten Commandments, it actually says, honor your mother and father Whereas here it says, honor your father and mother. Now, it's true that when God looks down at a family, he looks down through the lens, so to speak, of the father because he is responsible for that home. But that doesn't mean that the, the mother should receive any less honor. They're both equally to be honored by their children. So just some quick preliminary things that we can see there in the text um, that aren't necessarily the point of the text, but they're things that we, we need to be mindful of. So what, what makes this commandment so difficult, friends, for us is that we typically want clear applications 
for our individual situations. And just think about our church and your situation. There's all sorts of different applications that you can come into. And, and this isn't the way that God's word works typically. What we have here then is a principle which in turn teaches us to have a certain attitude which then needs to be applied with wisdom in a variety of situations, right? You have a principle and attitude, then you have the application that has to be applied with wisdom. So what is the attitude and the principle? Well, it's honor your parents. There's this attitude here. There's this principle. Honor your parents. Now, we need to consider practically what this command is teaching us, and I have four areas where I think this is important for us to um, consider. First of all, children. Well, obviously, this is speaking about children directly, isn't it? Now, we must not take this commandment lightly, right? Because it says honor, which is a weighty thing. The consistent teaching of Scripture is for the child to listen and to obey the counsel and instruction of their parents, of father and mother. Again, that's, that's the consistent tone, the consistent um, sound of Scripture as it relates to parent-child relationships. And it's worth noting, however, that the opposite of honor is dishonor. And there are some chilling words for children who are willing to dishonor their parents. In fact, if you are, um, well, I'll just read them for you here. Leviticus 20 verse 9 is probably the first one that comes to mind. And it says this, For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now, these are the kinds of verses you, as parents, you put on the back of your children's door, right? When you close the door for them to go to sleep, they see here, right, for anyone who curses his father or mother should be, should, you know, should be put to death. It helps them sleep well at night, right? But there's a sense in which this, this should shock us a little bit, right? There's something weighty about this command, that God means what he actually says. Deuteronomy 21 Verses 18 through 21, I'll just read a little bit of it. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, it goes on a little bit, here's what you need to do with it. He's saying, this is our stubborn and rebellious son, he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard, then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. Hey, men-to-men activity, we're going outside the city. Bring your own stones. Now, this is the attitude of what it means to be a rebellious stubborn child. Now, the opposite is what God wants. He wants children to honor their parents. So let's think now uh, about some categories that will help us maybe navigate through this particular commandment. First of all, I want to talk about younger children. Because the, uh, when, when we talk about younger children, the main emphasis in Scripture is that they are obedient. So younger children, it's obedience. When you have, you have little ones, the, 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 the tone of your parenting is, you know, you need to obey. You need to listen to what I'm saying, and you need to obey. And you want to you help them to come to the conclusion that obeying is a good thing. And so as parents, you'd be mindful about how you're doing that. Now, Scripture teaches that obedience is to be expected and regarded with seriousness and gravity. Now, friends, let's just hear this. It, it's not cute when we see a child who is you know, causing a fit and throwing a tantrum because they're being disobedient. It's not cute. Now, it's not a laughing matter. I would say this. We can laugh with the parents at the situation that we have experienced as parents and we understand what they're going through. You with me there? But we don't laugh at the disobedience. 
In fact, what we want to do is we want to encourage the parents to actually take responsibility and see the importance of not somehow um, putting aside or excusing the child's behavior, but learning how to actually come along and help that child recognize their need for obedience. And it's not just because I'm the parent, therefore you need to be obedient. There's something greater going on here, and it's the fifth commandment. And when children are younger, obedience should be expected, reverent, and, and faithful. Now just listen to the following passages. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, Paul says in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord, Paul says in Colossians 3.20. And so true obedience means teaching your children to both listen well and to respond appropriately. Now, my wife and I are by no means perfect parents, and we struggled with our parenting growing up. Uh, but we also tried to implement some things. First of all, we sought to teach our children to listen with their eyes, their ears, and their hearts. So when we're speaking, what we're wanting our children to do is to listen with their eyes, their ears, and their hearts, right? And, and then to obey, not just with their actions, but also with their attitudes. So it's not just demanding obedience. There's, there's far more of it going on. There's things that we're looking for. There's training that needs to take place in order for this this fifth commandment to be realized in those little children. You probably all heard the story of the mother that said to this, this son who was driving in the car, uh, who was in the car while the mother was driving, and she says, son, please sit down as I may have to stop suddenly and you'll be thrown against the windshield. No, the little boy said. Please sit down, dear. I don't want you to get hurt, mom said. No, came the stubborn reply. Finally, she reached over and pulled him down, and he sat there sullenly for a moment, and he said, I may be sitting down on the inside, but I'm standing up on the outside. All right? That's not the kind of obedience that we're looking for. We're looking for an obedience that not only is doing what they're being asked to do, but doing it with the right attitude. You say, Pastor Rod, you're living in utopia. I might realize that I'm living in utopia, but that's the goal that we're shooting for. We're trying to train people to obey in particular, with a right attitude. Now, certainly obedience is not something that is popular today. In fact, you go into some countries and you're not even allowed to force your children to do what they don't want to do. You'd be surprised. It's true. Okay? And we might have heard parents say things like this. Well, that's just the phase that they're going through. Or, well, boys will be boys... And friends, when we hear those things, again, they're often excuses for the child's behavior. Yes, your child will likely go through a number of phases that will test your resolve as a parent. But even during those times, you must expect obedience. We may never see the seriousness of this responsibility, but if you look just one chapter ahead in Exodus 21, 17, we read these very chilling words. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Ah, so it was right there in Exodus. I mean, it was right there after the Lord gave these Ten Commandments. I know I read a couple of passages earlier, but look, here we are, right in the context. God means what he says. This is a serious command. And friends, when, when parents don't expect obedience in their children, they're paving the road for stubbornness, rebellion, and ultimately children who curse them. 
Now, we're certainly not calling for stoning, right? That's not what we're looking for at all. But the principle still remains. We want to teach younger children to be obedient and to be obedient in the right way. So, let me kind of backtrack and just say it this way. If you are a child and you're listening to the sermon today, please hear this. God has given you one job to do. (laughs) One job to do. It is to work hard at listening to and obeying your parents with your eyes, your ears, and your heart, and to do it as an act of worship to the Lord. That's your job. That's your responsibility. That is God's will for your life right now. Parents, I want you to hear this too. If you happen to be at church and your child is being disobedient and you need to deal with them, when you have to get up out of your seat and the child is kicking and screaming and you feel like you're taking the walk of shame, you know what I'm talking about? I want you to understand something, especially when you're embarrassed. Every parent who has brought their children to church on a regular basis has experienced those times and we want what you perceive to be a walk of shame to actually be a walk of encouragement. Because the reality is all of us who have been parents or maybe our parents are looking at you saying, you're doing the right thing. And we want to encourage you to, to do, do the things that you need to do. And even though you might feel embarrassed in that moment, we are behind you when you're going out to have to deal with that child. All right? You with me there? Right? This is the tone that we want to have in the context of church. So this is younger children. There's probably a lot more we could say about younger children, but certainly obedience is the big thing here. Now, the, the idea of honor then transitions a little bit when we get to older children, adult children in particular, those who are out of the home and those who are no longer bound by obedience. But the word here is reverence. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a gradual transition. You, you move from from the parents being authoritative and making sure that their children are being obedient. And that, that authority then transitions into a new role as they move out of the home. And it's, I call it, it's, it's a position of, of being like a consultant. You're still a parent, but the role and function is different. Now, you know, as, as they are moving, not so much away from obedience, but they're given some freedom now to be individual adults, they're coming to their parents with reverence asking for advice, looking for help, okay? Now, certainly one of the things that has to, do, has to happen here when we talk about reverencing parents here is, is making sure that your speech and your attitude and your manner is all out of honor and respect. But what we need to see and what God wants to see here with older children is an attitude of, of reverence for mom and for dad. This is how they honor them. Now, to show you what I'm talking about, I want you to turn to the book of Proverbs. And, and uh, this might be a surprise to you that the book of Proverbs is written to, by, by Solomon to his son. But his son is not a little child. His son is an older son. And what he's doing is he's pouring out his heart from the wisdom that he has gleaned to help his son not make the mistakes that he's made in his life or that he knows are out there. So let's just just highlight a few verses. I want you to notice Proverbs 1, verse 8. 
He says, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Again, this is a father concerned about his son, pleading with his son to hear and to not forsake. Then you go to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Again, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for, the, for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them as a tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. This is, this is not a, a, a father who's trying to beat his son into submission. This is a, a father whose heart is being poured out to say, son, be wise. Listen to my counsel. I've been around a while. Chapter 3, verse 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, uh, uh, the son in whom he delights. Again, the discipline is a means of growth. Chapter 4, verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Proverbs 6, verse 20, my son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Again, almost like there, Proverbs 1, verse 8. So if you're you're a teen or you're a young adult, as you venture into the world, remember that God has graced you with the wisdom, counsel, and concern of your parents. Proverbs 3, verses, sorry, chapter 4, verses 3 through 4 says this, When I was a son with my father, he says, tender, the only one in his sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, son, listen, what I'm doing with you is what my father did with me. (laughs) And he's pleading with his son to listen to his words. So these are, not, these are not words to beat someone into submission. These are words from a heart that, that wants the best for this child. And so as, as children grow up, they move from this, this obedience to saying, you know what, I'm now an individual, I'm a young adult, I have responsibilities myself. I actually might disagree with my parents on something, but I'm going to listen to their counsel. And if they have something to say that contradicts or challenges what I'm doing, I'm going to pay attention to that because I know from their heart they are truly concerned about me. Now you might think, someone might think, a child might think, or say a teenager might think, you know what, my parents are out to lunch. Or society might think that your parents are outdated in their thinking and still trying to hold on to a time when they were growing up, but they're totally irrelevant in today's context. But friends, that has always been the attitude of youth. We are going to change the world, they say. It's always the young people. We're going to change the world. We want it different, right? You've all failed, and we know what is right. And of course, that is what's happening today with this love of socialism that is blind to the problems of it. There's a utopia going on in the mind, especially of the young people, And it's the gray hairs that kind of walk up and say, you know, we've seen this before. (laughs) We're aware of the kind of attitudes that are there, and you're not seeing the whole picture here. 
So friends, be careful that you're not following the way of the world by responding to your parents with dishonor and disrespect by your words, by your attitudes, by your actions, by your sense of entitlement, by your claims to know better. Just because your parents can't locate the Find My Phone app on their iPhone doesn't mean that they don't have a wealth of wisdom and knowledge that will be a, a great source of blessing for you. Older children, young adult, God is calling you to honor your parents with reverence, with respect. You may disagree with your parents, especially when you're out of the home, but if you disagree, be sure that your disagreement is not resulting in division or words, attitudes, and actions of anger. Be thankful for the blessing of wisdom. Now third, younger children, older children, adult children. That's the rest of us, guys. All right? This, this, the word that captures the role of adult children who have aging parents is the word care. You honor your parents when you're committing to care for them. And part of honoring your parents, then, is to think through how you can best care for them when they're frail and unable to contribute or totally dependent. But the thing with obedience and reverence is that when it is tainted with sin, hear this, it only wants to do what it absolutely has to do. And sadly, there are younger people, let's say children, adult children, who would rather send their parents away than actually care for them. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have your parents in a home. There are some parents that actually want to be in a home, in a you know, nursing home or some community together because they want the social dynamic. My point is, what's your attitude towards your parents that's helping them with that? So working with them and helping them uh, with, with their, their particular needs. This is all a responsibility of older children. And friends, this is exactly the attitude that, that Jesus encountered in the Gospels in particular with the Pharisees who rather than, uh, rather than actually taking their God-given responsibility, which they knew they had, they found this loophole. And it's called Corbin. And instead of using their finances to take care of their parents, what they did is they, they said, well, it's devoted to God. It's not, it's not so much that the, the money was already given, they couldn't reach it. It's just, it's just dedicated to him. And because it's dedicated for him, we don't have the resources to help our parents. And you can find that whole thing in Matthew chapter 15, verses 4 through 9. And it's a horrible example. Listen just to what Jesus says. He says, um, for, for, for God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, so God has said, but you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Here's Jesus again. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He was hot. Why? Because they were violating the fifth commandment. I mean, he's quoting the fifth commandment when he's speaking to them. And friends, this is a, this is a responsibility of adult children. 
to their parents. Now, even in our small church family, there are many of you have, who have, as a part of your life's, I want to say, portfolio, the constant burden of taking care of your parents. And I want to commend you for that. Uh, you say no to lots of things because you're prioritizing taking care of your parents. That is a good thing. For some, it's a, a little bit more of a minor concern. You're, you're there, you're there to help, or whatever. And for others, it's, it's a weekly, if not daily, concern that weighs heavy on your heart. Now, I want you to put yourselves in the position of your parents. Wouldn't you want to hear from your children, hey, mom and dad, as you get older, just know that we will do all we can to make sure that you're comfortable and well taken care of. Aren't those sweet words? Aren't those words that parents would long to hear? I mean, maybe not when you're in the 40s, but maybe, you know, as you're older, <laughs> you know. But I mean, there's, there's, there's a confidence that my children are going to honor me as, as, a, as, as a parent as I get into my senior years and, and on, rather than kind of just saying, well, you know, we don't have time for you. We're going to just stick you somewhere. We're going to go live our life. There is an Old Testament example for us in Genesis 47. Joseph, having been reunited with his father and brothers, arranges for them to settle in the land. And Genesis 47, 12 says this, And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. He honored his father and his family with provision being cared for. So if we're going to be faithful to this command, we need to emphasize the three words in our parent-child relationships. Obedience, which then leads to and includes, but it grows up into reverence and then ultimately into care. All of these are words that describe at different stages of, of life this honor relationship. All right? That's the first part. Letter A, letter B is parents parents. Now, the fifth commandment is given to us in the context of children honoring father and mother, and so we cannot ignore the responsibility of parents to raise their children to embrace this command. So Paul, at the beginning of Ephesians 6, reinforces the fifth commandment by speaking to the children. But in verse 4, he turns his attention to the parents and notice what he says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And then again in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So there's really two parts to these instructions. So for parents, uh, this is something we need to hear if we are going to emphasize the fifth commandment in the context of our home. Number one, don't provoke your children. Don't provoke your children. To provoke is to speak, act, or behave in a way uh, towards your children that will discourage them and lead them to anger. In his excellent book, uh, The Heart of Anger, you may have it on your shelf at home, um, it's by Lou Priolo. He offers 25 ways parents provoke their children. I'm just going to rattle off, maybe not 25, but maybe 10 of these. Lack of marital harmony. Establishing, maintaining a child-centered home. Modeling sinful anger. Consistently disciplining in anger. Being inconsistent with discipline. Having double standards. Being 
legalistic. In other words, making man-made rules equal to God's law. Not admitting when you're wrong. Constantly finding fault. Not listening to the child's opinion or their side of the story. Comparing one child with another one. Not having time to talk. Not praising the child. Failing to keep promises and on it goes. These are all ways that we, by our actions and our attitudes, we discourage those children. And it can lead then to anger. Don't provoke. Secondly, though, do discipline and train them. So part of, part of honoring mother and father comes as a result of parents carefully thinking through, I don't want to provoke my children. And sometimes we do that just simply by our, by our nature and our habits. We've got to figure out the ways in which we provoke our children. But we want to also then uh, discipline them and train them. And the idea of discipline, I think, is more, it's more the training, uh, the building them up and showing them life, right? And here we have Deuteronomy 6, of course, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be a frontlets between your eyes. What he's saying here is, look, all of life, as you're interacting with your children, these are the things that you, you're modeling, you're showing, you're explaining, you're teaching, you're training them. When there's frontlets between your eyes, it's like this is, this is the heart. They're, they're there. You don't forget them. These are, these are all part of the dynamic of your parenting responsibility. Now, there's a lot more to say there, but we get the point here that in order for a child to honor mother and father, it requires a mother and fa father that are teaching their children what that looks like and what that doesn't look like. And we might actually undermine our children's honoring by virtue of our provoking. So those are things for us to think about, right? Let's, let's think about this. There is a qualifier, and it's important for us to see this. He says, um, obey your children in the Lord, is what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, so honor your mother and father. Yeah, obey your parents in the Lord, not only your children. Obey your parents in the Lord. You could do uh, obey your children in the Lord, too. Um, that might be when you're older and they're trying to care for you, right? Um, I'm trying to get myself out of the hole. I just dug myself here, right? But here's the qualifier. It's not just blanket obedience. There are times when, as children, your parents are asking you to do something that violates God's will. And so this in the Lord, Paul uses here to say, look, this is the, the normal practice, right, is to obey your parents, but you do that in the Lord. As long as it lines up with what God's will is, then you do that. If it doesn't, even then when it doesn't, you still need to respond with respect, and say, I cannot follow through with what you're asking me to do. Okay, so these are some difficult things, but we, we want to make sure that we understand as parents, we have a responsibility to see this um, being fashioned in shape in our home. The third thing now, we looked at children and parents, but I want us to consider authorities. And I'm going to be relatively brief here, but simply to say this, there's a direct link, a direct link between children truly honoring parents in the Lord and their ability and willingness to honor the authorities that God has placed over them. If your children don't honor you, you think they're going to honor a teacher or a coach or the police or judges or any other adult? Probably not. 
Why? Because they haven't learned to do it in the home. And they can disrespect you in the home, they're likely going to disrespect people out there in public. So is it any wonder that society's children are behaving badly when the fifth commandment is considered old-fashioned and out of date? Now what happens to this kind of honorable relationship um, when it isn't present in the parent-child relationship? Well, I would just highlight two passages of Scripture. One is Romans 1. And of course, it's interesting, isn't it? At the beginning of Romans 1, Paul says, they didn't honor God, neither were they thankful. There's that honor word. And then one of the descriptive um, descriptions of the people at the end of the passage, when when they've fallen down in the sense of the slippery slope and God is giving them over, one of the things that's stated there is this, disobedient to parents. That's in Romans 1, verse 30. Right, this is it. They will be filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. This is what God thinks then. This is the result then of not honoring parents in the home. It's a culture that has a lack of respect for that role. And really, God gives them over. That's what it says. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we also find this expression in this, this laid out description of the last days. Now, as I'm reading 2 Timothy, I'm not saying that these descriptions are people out there in society. I actually think these are descriptions of the church. This is what happens in the last days, and this is what happens even in the church in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and so on. Okay? So there's, there's a concern here. There's a direct link then from children to parents to authorities. You see the flow? Now let's move on to this last one. And this last one is something we need to think about. And that is, the essential point here, ultimately, is Christ. You know, what do you mean by that? Well, in two ways, we see Jesus honoring parents, or a parent and then parents. You have, first of all, Jesus honors his earthly parents, doesn't he? Isn't that the pattern that we see? We don't see much of Jesus in his early life. What we do see are some aspects like when he was 12, and they were going to Jerusalem, and there's tons of people going to Jerusalem, kind of like entering the Alameda County Fair. You know how it is, just all tons of people there, right? And you're trying to hold on to your kids and that kind of stuff, right? And they go on. It's kind of an incredible story. They go on for a whole day, and they don't know where he is before they're like, oh, where is he, you know? Well, he's, he's back in the synagogue, and he's doing what his father commanded him. That's, we'll, we'll get back to that. But after that, this is what we find. It says, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. This is the parents. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus was submissive to his parents. And we're told there, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and with favor with God and man. As an adult, Jesus is hanging on the cross. This is John chapter 19, verses 25 and following. He's hanging on the cross, and he looks down, and he sees his mother there, and he sees um, uh, uh, his mother's sister Mary there, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother, 
the disciple whom he loved, that would be John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. You see what he's doing there. He is honoring her even as he's dying to make sure that she's going to be cared for. So Jesus honors his earthly parents um, you know, as, as he is on the earth. But notice this, Jesus also honors his heavenly father. He honors his heavenly father. Jesus comes into this, this world, and as he goes on into ministry, I'm just going to read some verses. Here's what he says. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John, that was John 6, 38. John 8, 49. The religious leaders accused Jesus of having a demon. Jesus says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Matthew 26, verse 39. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is struggling. And it says he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, he, he has a feeling of he wants to do something different in his humanity, but he is conforming to the will of his Father. John 17, his prayer in Gethsemane, he turns his eyes to heaven and prays to the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all, who have, uh, all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And you just get the tone of what's going on. He's saying, look, I came into this world to glorify the Father. I came in this world not to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father. And then as Jesus is on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 46, he says in full surrender, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a declaration of I am submissive to the plan. So Jesus, his incarnation, his life and his ministry, his arrest, his trial, his beatings, his whipping, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his whole life, friends, was lived in submission to his Father's will. Jesus obeyed and submitted to the will of the God. He honored his Father. Now, friends, we're able to call God Father... We are able to call God Father because the Son of God honors his, his Father through obedience on the cross. And if we read our Bibles correctly, each of us are now, if we are his children, adopted into the family of God, and we are called sons with Christ. And we also honor the Father. That's a pretty powerful reality, isn't it? And just as we began by saying these first four commandments can describe our attitude toward God, so this honoring our mother and father is a mirror reflection of what we are to be doing in honoring and glorifying God in our lives. So there's this idea, this essential point, honor mother and father. It relates to children, parents, fleshes out in authorities, and is, is given by virtue of example 
uh, in the person of Christ himself. But then we get to the third section here, and this is the commandment's rewarding promise. There's a, there's a rewarding promise given here in, uh, in Exodus. Honor your father and mother that your days, this is the result then, the purpose, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So he's already said, I'm giving you this land. Now, if you, if you follow this commandment, he's saying, you will, what, be long in the land. You'll have long days. Now, this isn't, isn't a guarantee that you're going to live to 90 years old. He isn't saying that those who are disobedient will die early, younger. None of those things are true. Uh, there's a context here. God is speaking to Israelites individually as well as corporately. Individually, when they take their responsibility to honor the Lord, there will be personal blessing. There's typically blessing when children and parents are getting along and the child is joyfully submissive and obedient to the parents and the, the process of parenting. But there's also a corporate dynamic. God has promised to take Israel to the, into the land. He has already said that he was giving it to Israel. But would Israel be obedient to the Lord and would the children listen to, honor, and obey their parents? Well, here's the deal, guys. The children get into the land. But their blessing is short-lived. Why? Because they didn't do this, among other things. In fact, when you go to the prophets and they're talking about why Israel was taken into captivity, Ezekiel says, chapter 22, verse 7, father and mother are treated with contempt. Micah 7, 6, again, prophet speaking to the same issue says, for the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her father, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and man's enemies are the men of his own house. There's a lack of honor. There's a lack of respect. Now, friends, do you, do you see here how, how this fifth commandment is so essential it's at the heart of what it means to be a family seeking to live for the glory of God. And the prophets are saying that the reason Israel was deported out of the land was because of their disobedience, because of their dishonoring of their parents. And when the family unit is broken down, when honoring one's father and mother begins to be set aside, society begins to crumble. So in God's economy, the way he's laying things out in these Ten Commandments is to basically say to the family, look, here is the, here's the essential attitude, the essential principle. Honor your father and your mother. Now, as we go back to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul brings this up and reinforces it, what does he say? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through three, here's what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, right? The commandment, promise. We're talking here about the promise. That it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. You have to ask yourself the question. What land is Paul talking about? He's quoting, he's reinforcing, but now he's saying to the parents in Ephesus, 
this is what you need to do so that you can live long in the land. Now you're starting to scratch your head. Because they're not living in the promised land. So what's the land that they're going to be flushing this out in? Well, it's the land of Ephesus. This is where God has placed them. What he's saying is that if you want to have a lasting impact in Ephesus, then this must take place. Children must honor father and mother. You get that? And just think through it this way. If your children are going to have an impact in where we are we right now, we're in San Lorenzo, right? Castro Valley, Hayward, wherever we might be coming from, Oakland. If we want our children to have an impact here in the land, he's saying this is the core essential. This is what ultimately matters. So friends, how will the church learn to walk in unity, holiness, love, light, and wisdom in the context of Ephesus? How will Gateway learn to walk in a way that will please God in the context of Hayward and Castro Valley and San Lorenzo and San Leandro? A cultural context, friends, that is opposed to biblical unity, holiness, love, and light and wisdom. How will we do it? How can we live well and faithfully for the Lord? Well, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. Ah, the fifth commandment. Paul is saying at the heart of living evangelistically in a pagan and sinful land is parents equipping and training their children to honor their parents. And when your child learns the importance of taking personal responsibility to be obedient, to be reverent, to be respectful, and to care, your family will have a lasting impact where they live. Now, I just want you to think through that, guys. And I want you to think through it just as we come to some concluding thoughts here. It's just really, really brief. What is at the heart of your family? And I just want to dial some things on your, on your priority kind of list in your family. What is at the heart of your family? Is it education and grades? I mean, as your kids grow, are you just going to be like, got to have an education, got to have that 99.99%. If you can't, you need to get back to that teacher and make sure you get that grade. Is that what it is? Is it sports and trophies? You walk in the child's room and there's like trophies for soccer and basketball and showing up at something, right? Oh, we want to have trophies. Is it popularity or being socially connected? Oh, my child, everyone loves my child. They're such a great child. Now, there's, there's a place for all this, all right? I mean, we, obviously we want our kids to have a good education, right? And if their children are, you know, sports-minded, uh, we want them to do well. Maybe, they're, maybe their gift is in other areas like music or, 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 or dance or whatever it might be, right? Is it popularity? Friends, here's, here's the point. What God is saying is this. It should be that your child has a growing Christian character that is marked by honor. So whether your child is smart, athletic, has a voice, can play an instrument, is popular or not, the essential that God is going for is that your children value and know what it means to honor. And that is a Christian character that only you as parents can establish in that child. That's the responsibility that you have. That should be the essential thing that you're looking for 
hey, mom, look, I got an A. That's great. I'm so glad you got an A. But why did you lie to me? Well, it's, it's, it's honor. It's Christian care. Are we more concerned about their Christian character than all those other things? Are we like, well, that's kind of a secondary. I mean, I really don't have a responsibility to do those things. They'll, they'll, they'll catch it along the way. What is at the heart of your family? Maybe this is something that you're going to go home and you're going to talk about. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we have sought to walk through this, this commandment. And Lord, it's easy for us to come to this commandment and just think it's talking about children and just their need to be obedient and certainly, Lord, there is that aspect, and hopefully, Lord, we've, we've, we've settled on that somewhat. But, Lord, ultimately, you're calling for each of us as your children to live this commandment out. This isn't for someone else. This is for us. And so, Lord, do we have this essential character attribute in our hearts? Help us, Lord, to see Maybe ways in which we need to reassess what's important in our hearts before you. And Lord, to, to really understand that after you have revealed your first four commandments, declaring things that we must or must not do in our relationship with you, the very next thing, Lord, that you say is to be people who know how to honor mother and father. May that, Lord, hit us. May that begin to shape us. May it cause us to think about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, Lord, may it also help us understand then that even as we flesh out the next few commandments, that having this one as central, Lord, will help us then to navigate avoiding falling prey to those, what those commandments are talking about. Oh, Lord, we need you. We need the clarity of your word. Lord, we need to think that your, your word is for us, not just for other people. Lord, help us to be people who honor in obedience, honor in reverence, and honor in care. And follow the example of your son, Jesus Christ. And we embrace that this is far more important than other things that maybe society says important for our homes. Now, Lord, having said that, we fail at this so much. As parents, we fail, we struggle. As children of parents, we fail and we struggle. Lord, help us to, to reset, based on your word, Lord, some things in our lives so that we can glorify you as children, as parents, Lord, as your children. Help us to do this now in your precious name. Amen.